Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. The January transfer window is about to shut, but for Manchester United, that doesn't matter. I got wind of it a month or two ago that it could be a possibility. I never really believed we'd pull it off. Coming here is a great moment for me. I feel very happy to be here, to have the chance to play in a massive club like this. So United get their man, while Everton hold on to theirs. To have Leighton Baines so secure. Leighton Baines' best years of his career at Everton means a lot. We're all excited. That's an understatement. And Spurs manager Tim Sherwood is happy with his lot at the lane. We've got quality players, yeah, and um, you know I'm happy with the squad. I'm happy with what we got, and we've got real quality. And I've got belief in these boys to take us where we need to be. We get the lowdown on the new man in charge at Tottenham from his former teammate and title winner at Blackburn, Stuart Ripley. We'll discuss an enthralling end to the January transfer window, which has already seen a club record deal for the champions. Everton legend Graham Sharp tells us who he's nominated for the Barclays Merit Awards. And we hear from an 83-year-old zip-wiring Southampton superfan. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Marcus Buckland and I'm delighted to have alongside me the former Chelsea and Everton midfielder Graham Stewart and journalist and broadcaster Paddy Barkley. Now, the Barclays Premier League has had a weekend off to make way for the FA Cup fourth round. So before we discuss the rapidly developing January transfer window, let's just dwell for a moment on some of those cup games with Graham and Paddy. Comfortable wins in the end for Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool and Chelsea. But Manchester City found it a little bit harder. Two down, Paddy, at one stage at home to Watford. Of course, they came back to win 4-2 in the end. But were you thinking that the impossible was going to happen at one stage? I, I was, particularly the way that that City defended and and actually the brilliance of how Watford took advantage of it. When a manager has a reputation of being very equable and when he does blow his top, I think it really works. And if ever there was an example of a half-time talk, Manuel Pellegrini certainly seems to have lit a few fireworks. Yeah, the Chilean got hot, definitely. And the the, the problem when you're playing City, Graham, is that you know they can score from anywhere and they're likely to score more than once from anywhere. Very much so. I mean, we know what their home form's like and we know what their goal-scoring record at home is. Like So there was kind of an air of inevitability that once they got one, they'd probably go on and get two, three, four, which in, in, in fact they went on to do. But then again, it just shows that the FA Cup throws up these surprises at times. However good you are as a side, if your attitude isn't right from the first minute, you can put yourself behind the eight ball. And it's certainly thrown up a couple of fantastic fifth round ties. Uh, top four in the Barclays Premier League pitted against each other. City at home to Chelsea, Arsenal against Liverpool. Of course, that opens things up for some of the other teams involved. Oh yeah, it does. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday with a chance. You know, big clubs who are out of the Barclays Premier League at the, at the moment. The quarterfinals are going to be interesting with, you know, sort of David against Goliath uh, type clashes. Fascinating stuff in the fifth round of the Cup. Now, the end of the uh, January transfer window is looming. Closes at 11pm on Friday the 31st of January. So the next few days are inevitably going to be very busy for a lot of Barclays Premier League clubs. Without doubt, the biggest bit of business completed so far this month has been Manchester United's £37.1 million capture of Spanish midfielder Juan Mata from Chelsea. We'll get your thoughts on that in a moment. Moment, uh, gentlemen. First of all, let's hear from the man himself on his club record move to Old Trafford. Obviously, coming here is a great moment for me. I feel very happy to be here, to have the chance to play in a massive club like this. The last six months were difficult because I didn't play as much as I wanted, but I respect that. 
Uh, Jose is a very good manager. Um, the squad is unbelievable. They have top, top players. They have one of the best squads in the Premier League. So I respected all my teammates. I just tried my best in every training, in every game, at the minutes that I had. But now I'm really happy and looking forward to win as many trophies as I can with this club because I'm sure it's going to be a great, great period for me. Well, it was a move that was touted for a long time before it was finally completed. Graham, were you a little surprised that uh, Chelsea did decide to let him go to Manchester United of all teams? If I'm honest, I'm, I'm surprised he was allowed to go to Manchester United. I'm not surprised that he was allowed to go because quite clearly Jose Mourinho decided that Oscar was going to be his main man to play just behind the front man and Oscar's form this season has been very, very good indeed. So I feel for him to a degree, but um, I, I don't know, is it a little bit of mind games from Mourinho as well, letting him go to Manchester United, suggesting that United are not in the title race? Is it a bit of a slap in the face for United as it excited as their fans are to get a player of his quality. It is a slap in the face that Chelsea don't consider them rivals, but you really only need to look at the league table to see that they're, they're not. What it signals is that Mourinho wants to win this Barclays Premier League title this season. After all, if Manchester United throw money around like this in seasons to come, they're going to be back challenging again. And where do you see Mata fitting into the United side, Graham? For me, having seen while Mata... Chelsea regularly this season, he has to play behind the front man in a central role. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting for one second that Juan Mata isn't clever enough and bright enough to play in a wider position, but if you're talking about getting the best out of that man, he has to play behind the front man. A position where Wayne Rooney likes to adopt, Yanazai likes to play as well, Kagawa. So there's all kinds of subplots to this as well. It's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what David Moyes does. As soon as the transfer was confirmed, the words that came to mind were Mesodozil. Did Arsenal need another number 10? Answer, yes. Basically, you just build up a collection of good players. If it works as well for Manchester United in the second half of this season as it's worked for Arsenal in the first half of this season, then there won't be any complaints. Well, Matter has made it very clear that uh, he is looking forward to forging a partnership with Wayne Rooney. Well, I can't wait to play alongside him. Uh, for me, he's one of the best players in the history of this country. He's unbelievable. He's a striker that he can score, he can assist, and he can come to the midfielder to take the ball and to try to move. I think I will enjoy a lot alongside him. For me, he's an unbelievable player, and I will try to connect with him as much as I can. I will try to find the gaps between the rival defences because I was doing this in the in the last season. So I think that's my best kind of, of playing, try to be in the position that I have to be to try to assist the strikers. Well, they'll clearly get a chance to play together for the rest of this season. The suspicion does remain, Graham, doesn't it, that perhaps come the summer... Rooney might still be on his way, going in exactly the opposite direction. There's rumours that Manchester United are not far off you know, securing Wayne Rooney's signature for the next four years as well. So when you sign somebody like Juan Mata, from Wayne Rooney's perspective, you know, it's got to be good news for the club that you know, he can see that you know, Manchester United are in a bit of a changing time. The likes of Juan Mata's coming into the club are only going to improve it. Good players link up and they mm. get through any problems that do occur. Well, the former Manchester United striker Dwight York has been giving his thoughts on the arrival of the Spaniard. I think, yes, I think he's a quality player. I think sometimes you just need one player to walk through the door with such um, star quality. It's the kind of thing that United is always linked with the best players in the world. And to see David Moyes really capture a big name like that, I think he will be very pleased. The fans will be pleased and hopefully that will lift the spirit within the dressing room and certainly lift the performance on the football pitch as well. Well, it certainly lifted the spirits of the Manchester United fans after their exit from 
the League Cup last week. Bottom line, Paddy, there six points off fourth spot at the moment. Champions yep. League football is obviously essential for a club that's become so accustomed to it over the years. Do you think that Matter's arrival will secure them that fourth position? On balance, no. I, I think that as long as the Merseyside clubs keep playing as they are, and I can't see any reason why they shouldn't have good second half to the season, given that they don't have to play European football. So I don't see Manchester United getting back into fourth place. But one season out of the Champions League isn't going to kill Manchester United. And it will, of course, increase the pressure on David Moyes, but he is clearly delighted to have finally secured his uh, first world-class signing since taking over. I got wind of it a month or two ago that it could be a possibility, and uh, I never really believed we'd pull it off. And actually, I've been saying nearly in all the press conferences I've had to do that I didn't think we'd get a chance to do much business in January. I didn't think we, the players were go, would be interested and would be available. But when we got the we got the sniff that there was a chance that one could be available, then we, we went after it right away. And uh, you know, congratulations to the club and to Ed Woodward for, for getting the deal done. And uh, I were delighted to have him here. I think we said when I came in, it was going to, we were going to have a difficult summer period when we arrived in. We, that window was going to be tough. We've had a chance to look at everybody. We're only in the next window. You know, I've already said we will be making changes and one's the first. A statement of intent, certainly for Manchester United. And, and Paddy, as you quite rightly yeah. say, Moyes is looking to the long term. Fellaini, yep. who of course was his one big signing in the summer, should be back sooner rather than later. They're being linked as well with, with a number of other big-name players, be it in January or, or come the summer. So, yeah. so this is the, the start of the stepping stone. Well, period, I think, it, think? It, it's a good start because, I mean, obviously we've talked uh, before about Mata's quality. His age is also important. He's 25 years of age. The move goes as well as Moyes thinks. They could all be still there in seven years' time. It's how they follow up with this. To me, uh, they need to three players in the back four alone. Plus, they also have to address other other shortcomings. Yeah, well, the likes of Shaw and, and, and Seamus Coleman are, be, are being linked Royce as well, and several players expected to go further. Nand Evra, Vidic, um, Nani, Hernandez. So a, a lot of changes um, along yeah. the way at Manchester United. For Chelsea and, and for Mourinho, Graham, I mean, it's been an interesting season, hasn't it? Because they haven't exactly set the world on fire, but they're so nicely positioned in all aspects of competition. And, of course, they're, they're subtly making the changes that he wants to enhance his own particular style of play. Yeah, very much so. I mean, listen, in the Barclays Premier League, Mourinho is clearly the best manager. But what, what he'd done, I think he was frustrated when he initially came into the into the job again with the personnel that he had. But I think, slowly but surely, it started to turn round. And I think at this moment in time, Chelsea are in a good place. I think they're all buying into exactly what Jose wants from his side. You know, Willian and Hazard. You know, Oscar is a terrific player you know all of a sudden Chelsea for me have, have got a know-how of how to win football matches mm -hmm. and that comes from Mourinho and of all the top clubs they've got the best balance between defence and attack I mean the great thing about this Barclays Premier League in my opinion the best season ever oh definitely the best but you know a pedant was to come out with the criticism it's that there's too much attack you know I don't think we'd have complained about it after Manchester City 6 Arsenal 3 you know one of the greatest matches I've ever seen um, Chelsea do have this balance perfect balance between defence and attack. And Mourinho certainly didn't waste any time in uh, spending some of the money that he received from Manchester United, £11 million to be precise, on the Egyptian winger Mohamed Salah from Basel. We had to react to the matter situation, which was unexpected. We tried to go for a young player, obviously, for a left-footed player, obviously, uh, and for a fast one, especially fast in the space, because most of my Attacking players, they are very fast, but fast with the ball. And Salah is the kind of player that looks for space, uh, tried to get uh, behind people. So we think it was a good choice and a good option. 
Clever signing for you, Graham? Yes, very clever signing, no doubt. Listen, you can never have enough good players in your squad. Salary's a very, very talented young man, dynamic, clever footballer, can score a goal as well, and done really well for FC Basel. So clearly uh, was a player that Mourinho had kept his eye on, and he'll take great delight from the fact that he snatched it from under the nose of Liverpool Football Club as well, just as he did with Willian at Tottenham. Yeah, they, they seem to have a, a habit, take a, a great joy in stealing players <laughs> yeah. uh, from, from clubs that think they've got their man. That is true. Uh, Mourinho loves the, the cleverness of the transfer market. But at the same time, you were getting back to the sort of team he had and won the title twice with before, with directness on the flanks, not fancy one matter type players. Eden Hazard has been converted into a direct player, a little bit like Joe Cole, the way he did with Joe Cole when he first came. On the right-hand side, uh, you've got Salah, who is the new Aryan Robin. So, basically, at home you can attack with three forwards. Never mind playing two up front. He will be playing with three up front. That's a really good point. A couple of other signings, of course, as well. Nemanja Matic, who's come back for rather more than he went away from, but um, he, he's developed into a, a world-class player, hasn't yeah. he? And, and Bertrand, probably offset by De Bruyne and Essien's departure. So there's a, a lot of symmetry in what he's doing at the but moment. But there is. I, I think Matic is a wonderful player, and, and I think he uh, he came back and, and, and played in the FA Cup tie, didn't he, against Stoke at the weekend. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And dynamic is the word for Chelsea. That's what Jose Mourinho wants. He wants dynamic players, good athletes. Chelsea are in a real good place, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, so a degree of dynamism and balancing the books for good measure. They've got 20 million in the bank at the moment. So, uh, you know, that's good for financial fair play reasons and also the age structure of the squad now. I mean, John Terry apart, and you you could say, well, what about Petr Cech? But uh, they've got a brilliant replacement for him waiting for that Atletico Madrid. Absolutely. Possibly the best young goalkeeper in the world. So Chelsea really are, as you say, in a very good place at the moment. And Matic will be an improvement on John Obi Mikel in that holding role. He just eats up the ground, doesn't he? Very yeah. assured he was. Yeah, yeah. Looks, looks to be a, a great signing. The other main bit of uh, transfer news has centred around the Newcastle midfield player, Johan Kabay, who has finally completed his move to PSG. Newcastle did their best to hold on to their man, or at least made sure that if he was going, they were going to get the money yeah. they wanted mm-hmm. for him, which they have. But well, obviously that's, that's a, a huge a disappointment profit, for Newcastle they've fans. They've made a profit. But I, I will say, though, one thing that he nearly went before and, and, and he ended up with you know a PR egg on his face. He got himself back into the supporters' good books in the best possible way by consistently brilliant performances. Crumb of comfort for Newcastle, maybe more than a crumb of comfort. Luke de Jong, uh, the Dutch uh, international, is poised to uh, sign for them from Borussia Mönchengladbach. So uh, they look as if they're going to spend their money or at least some of the money they're getting as quickly yeah, as possible. Too. And he is a good player, Very isn't good he? Player. And in terms of some of the other standout transfers uh, so far, well, West Ham uh, have been busy loans for Marco Borriello from Roma, Antonio Naturino from AC Milan. Everton, of course, signing Aidan McGeady from Spartak Moscow uh, and the striker uh, Latina Traori from Monaco on loan. Spurs poised to say goodbye to Jermaine Defoe at the end of February as he goes off to Canada. Uh, Fulham have Clint Dempsey back, of course, on loan from the Seattle Sounders. Token Cardiff involved in a swap deal with Peter Odomwingi. He's joined the Podders. Kenwyn Jones going in the other direction. Swansea have signed David and Gog from Bolton for the rest of this season. And Hull have strengthened up front, of course, Shane Long and Nikitsa Jelovic. 
bought him. Um, what stands out amongst those for you, Graham? Well, I'm looking at the whole one, actually. Shane Long and Jelovic going there. I mean, Jelovic was he's a decent player, but was struggled to score goals at Everton. Shane Long is somebody I've always admired as a player. Great work ethic. And I think Steve Bruce has bought two good players there. I like the Odom Wingy. His pace will help Stoke. Uh, no question about that. And Kenwin Jones's career has just been mired there, hasn't it? Also, it means more game time for Peter Crouch. And, you know, as a great admirer of his, then that's, that suits me fine. Also, I like the, the look of what West Ham have done. Uh, I think once Carroll gets bedded back in and two quality players coming from Italy, uh, they could even get out of trouble. West Ham fans will certainly hope so. Coming up, we'll be speaking to one of Tim Sherwood's former teammates about how he was always destined for management. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. Now, a club that hasn't been too busy in the transfer market this month is Spurs, who continue to make waves under new manager Tim Sherwood. The former youth team coach remains unbeaten in the league since he took over the reins just before Christmas, but he knows there's still plenty of work to do to achieve a top-four finish. You know, all these teams in the round just don't drop any points, do they? And I'm waiting, I'm looking for them results, thinking surely they're going to get beat today. And they're probably looking at the same with us, and no-one's actually giving way. So uh, it's going to be a fight right to the death, and... We've got quality players, yeah, and um, you know I'm happy with the squad. I'm happy with what we got, and we've got real quality, and I've got belief in these boys to take us where we need to be. Well, so far, at least, Graham, he has made Barclays Premier League management look rather easy, hasn't he? Well, he has. I mean, there's no doubting that he's got a, a quality squad to choose from. That always helps, doesn't it? But I think what Tim's done, he's just kept it simple. He's bought Adiboy all back, made him feel a million dollars, and they're reaping the benefits so far. Yeah, five goals in his last six games for Adiboy. And, of course, when he came in charge, um, mm. you know, it was, I'm going to play two up front. And it, and it worked. But then at Swansea yeah. last time out, he just had Adiboy on his own. So he's not a one-trick pony, is he? No, no, I think. But uh, reality was always going to have to descend. The advantage he had is, is that he took over from... Um, a manager, Andre villas Boys, who had become unpopular. Really, a club whose improvement is based on the consistency of Adapior has got difficulties <laughs> ahead, I'm afraid. History shows that. What about Tim Sherwood, the man? We can speak now to somebody who knows the Spurs manager extremely well. They played together in the Blackburn Rovers title-winning side of 1995. A warm welcome to the show, Stuart Ripley. Hi there, how are we doing? We're delighted to have you with us. Just how pleased and surprised, perhaps, are you to see your old friend doing so well in the the top end of the Barclays Premier League? Well, I'm obviously very pleased for him. You know, he's a good friend and I always want him to do well. Um, I'm not particularly surprised. You know, he's served his time at Tottenham. He's been uh, at the club for four or five years now, uh, you know, looking at working with the youth team and and the various elements below the first team. So it's not surprised to me that he's done well initially. He's quite streetwise, Tim. Uh, he knows the game inside out, and I think he's learned from his own experiences. And I think that he'll be a good man manager. I think. Yeah, you say he's streetwise. He, he appears to be a very down to earth sort of person. And is that his character, basically? I think it is. I think he doesn't get too carried away with with the, the whole thing. I mean, you can see. You know, I've been watching him on the TV and the way that he handles himself in front of the media. Uh, he's media savvy. I don't think he'll give too much away. He knows what to say and when to say it, and that's obviously important. You know, with the scrutiny that the uh, Premier League managers are under. Stuart, what's, uh, I mean, you obviously your best memory, I would guess, from your playing days was winning that title with Blackburn in 1995. How influential was Tim? He was your captain. How, how influential was he for that for that time? He was very influential. I mean, obviously, the, the focus of that team was on Alan Shearer and, uh, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that without him, we wouldn't have won that title. But Tim was very, very important, both on the pitch and off the pitch. He was very influential in the dressing room. He can be quite a spiky character in the sense that, you know, if people 
about the success of that side, that behind the scenes, the players were pushing themselves forward. Yeah, Stuart, given the, the picture that you've that you've painted of Tim, which which very much concurs with, with what was said when he got the job, you know, very much his own man, how do you think he will fare in the long term, working with Spurs rather continental style of management, i.e. A, a director of football? You know, Daniel Levy keeps coming back to that system. How do you think Tim can uh, handle himself in that situation? Well, I think, I think the four or five years prior to this are important in the sense that he's understand the mechanism within the club and he's worked within it and he's been part of it. So he, he's, it's not going to be a shock to him. It's not like he's been a manager and he's been making all the big decisions. He's going to have to work with people. And that's just the way that the football is going at the moment. I think that uh, you know managers and coaches have to understand that some of these football clubs are massive commercial entities and they need a sort of structure that they've got to work with it. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see um, how he develops over the uh, next six to 12 months. On a personal note, Stuart, most players go into either punditry or coaching after they retire. You've gone down a rather different route, haven't you? I have, yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're out of tide in 2002, and, you know, it's a, it's a difficult time for footballers when you do retire. It's obviously, a, you've got to find something to occupy your mind and, and keep yourself sane, basically. And Martin was to go back to university and, and do a law degree and uh, progress from there to qualify as a, as a solicitor. Yeah. But what do you specialise in, in, Stuart? Well, in sports law, I mean, I've been, over the last five years, I've been working with a big firm in Manchester who uh, sports law specialist, so I've been predominantly working within the football industry, sort of dealing with contractual disputes by the various stakeholders in football, whether it be agents, players, clubs. And to be honest, I've learned more in the last four or five years about football than I ever did kicking the ball around, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I just think we're talking maybe to a future leader of English football, yeah. I mean, somebody who's who's got proper administrative experience like that should be brought back into the game, in my opinion. Well, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's something... Sorry to interrupt, and that's something I've sort of been looking at at the moment. I mean, I've taken a little bit of time out at the moment to sort of uh, put my uh, coaching badges in place, and I do feel that I've got the experience and a certain skill set there In terms of influences throughout your career, which um, is perhaps still helping you to this day, who in particular really had an effect as you were growing up and making your name as a player, Stuart? Well, I had a 20-year career, so there's obviously lots of names that I, I could mention. But I think that people that I look at, sort of, I would take some guidance from, if you like. I mean, I played under Roy Hodgson for about 18 months, and I saw the way that Roy, his football knowledge was exceptional, but he was also the way that he dealt with people was very, very impressive. And I think the days of managers and coaches ruling with an iron fist have gone now and you've got to be a people person and I think Roy ticked those boxes and so if I was going to come back into football that would be the guidance that I would be looking to take. Well Stuart it sounds though you may have a lot to offer the game in the future. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us today. Thank you. That is Stuart Ripley, the, uh, the former Blackburn player, who clearly, um, Graham, has a, a good head on him as, as well as two good feet. It's interesting for me to listen to Stuart there and say that, you know, sometimes it's good for him to have stepped away from football and realised what life is in the outside world. In the real world, he talks about the football bubble. And you do live in a bubble. You know, from my own experience, you, you, you're looked after, every need is catered for and what have you. And sometimes when you step out of it, you realise what the big wide world is really all about. We are halfway through the show. Coming up, we'll be speaking to a very special 
special Saints fan who has spanned the decades. But first of all, it's our Barclays Merit Awards. Now, Barclays has teamed up with former player Fabrice Mwamba to launch the Barclays Merit Awards. Throughout the season, Barclays has been rewarding the fans and community heroes that make the Barclays Premier League what it is. And now the focus is on the players, managers and unsung club heroes of the 20 top-flight clubs. Now, the Barclays Merit Award is broken down into the following three categories. Performance Milestone, a player or manager who achieves the best in sporting performance and service over the course of his career. Unsung Club Hero, a member of staff who is respected for their hard work and selfless dedication to a Barclays Premier League club. And Spirit of the Game, outstanding acts of sportsmanship by a player or manager. Now, we'll get your thoughts on those in a moment, gents. But first, the former Everton and Scotland legend Graham Sharp has been giving us his nomination for performance milestone. I'd probably go with Paul Scholes. You know, he was one of those guys who who didn't see an awful lot. You know, didn't really like the media interviews, stayed away from the the spotlight. But you're just looking at something the other night there on on, on TV about his 100 goals. Absolutely incredible, you know, and I think... If you speak to players who played against him, you know, world-class players, we talk about the Barcelona crew now, they all rated him so highly. So I think for a really genuine family guy who played for one of the biggest clubs in the world, just went about and done his job week in, week out, you knew what you were going to get. Paul Scholes, at his pomp, was, was, was world-class. Yeah, so Graham's vote goes to Paul Scholes, and I don't think many people would argue too much um, with that decision, Graham, would they? No, no, no. It's hard to argue against that, isn't it? Because Paul Scholes has been an absolute gem for the Barclays Premier League. There's no doubt about that, both on and off the pitch. Personally, I've gone for Ledley King, you know, a glittering career, an unbelievably talented player, but offset with, you know, horrendous problems with his knees. And yet he continually managed to get himself out at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon yeah. and in obviously great pain. And to, to not be able to train all week just come out and play in the games yeah. is phenomenal. Hardly ever saw him commit a foul. Another one that I would have in mind would be Jamie Carragher. He wasn't necessarily going to be an elite player. You know, he was a failed failed midfield player. I remember seeing his first appearance against Aston Villa as a midfield player. He scored a goal, but I don't think he'd have made a, a great career there. But what he did was make the most of his talent. For much of his peak years, he played out of position at right or left back, which didn't suit his feet really he learned from that and I've got a theory that playing fullback makes you a better centre back because you understand the angles and you understand the problems better and he ended up you know one of the best central defenders you didn't even know he lacked pace did Mm. you because he always was in the right place at the right time and finally in in 2005 when he had you know along with the rest of the Liverpool team had an absolute nightmare against Milan for 45 minutes what was his reaction I think gave the best 45 minutes defensive performance I think I've ever seen in the second half, and Liverpool won it. So I, I, I just, I just love character. Yeah, yeah, fantastic uh, mental resilience. Um, let's go on to the unsung hero category, and the first, Graham's vote. We've got a lady here presenting Lily, who, who does the tours of the stadium. Now I remember Lily uh, when I first came down to the club when I was nineteen, so it was a long, long time ago. And she's still here, and she's still devoted to the football club. She's worked here for a long, long time. She still does the tours on a non-match day. She's yeah. still around on a match day. Don't even know her second name, but all I know is Lily, and she's been fantastic. You know, and she's been at the club, and, and we've got a lot of people around the club. 
like that who've been here for a long, long time. Young girls who, who started in the box office who are now in, in, in corporate. You know, so we've got a lot of people who, who have worked at the club for a long, long time. But Lily's the one that I always remember having first met her when I first came to the club many, many years ago. This is a fantastic category because you do get to hear about people. Otherwise, you'd, you'd have no idea about it. And, and Graham Sharp pulling a blinder there. Graham Stewart, where does your vote yeah, go? Yeah, no surprise. I'm sticking with the Everton theme. I mean, when I first moved to Merseyside, I met a man called Jimmy Martin, who's Everton's kit man. And he is a character. Mm-hmm. He actually started off as, as the coach driver for, for the first team. He built himself up to kit man. And never in my life have I seen a man take as much abuse as Jimmy Martin from the players. <laughs> but he always bounces back with a word. And um, unfortunately, he actually had a heart attack about a year ago. But fortunately, pulled through and continues to go from strength to strength. An absolute gem of a man. There's a woman called Kath, who uh, is the first face you see when you go to Manchester United's training ground at Carrington. And I'd knew her for many, many years, since before Ferguson came. And she would give you a big hug and a smile and would just lift your heart. And you'd think, yeah, I can even face Ferguson now. <laughs> Well, finally, to the spirit of the game category, and here's Graham Sharp once more. The one that springs to mind here, which I thought was incredible, I don't think I could have done it myself, was we played West Ham here a few years ago. Uh, A goalkeeper at the time, Paul Gerrard, came out to close a ball down the edge of the box in a collision, and the ball went wide, ball got crossed into the box. De Canio, open goal, go and score, and he's caught the ball above his head, and you're thinking, wow, you're thinking... If I'm a footballer there, I'm going to go and head that internet to net and go and, just, and then go and see what it is. But I thought that was a tremendous act of sportsmanship from, from Paolo Di Canio. Everybody knows about and what kind of character he is. But I thought that day, that was class. That yeah. was real, real class. So, you know, probably that's the one that springs to mind. Yeah, well, Di Canio's um, obviously had his moments and his fair share of critics, but that, that was a, a standout yeah. moment. couple more uh, from you guys. I'd picked out Gary Speed. And the reaction, I mean, I was talking with Paddy earlier on and about the reaction of supporters around the country and players and managers alike and how in a time when we lose one of our heroes, everybody pulls together. And I think that was, you know clear when Gary Speed passed away. One, One of example of, of tragedy, of something good coming out of out of tragedy, although obviously we still wish it hadn't happened, but Fabrice Mwamba, which turned yeah. out not to be a tragedy, but it also pulled everyone together. And the other, only other thing I'd say, uh, not a specific player, but players generally, the way they celebrate goals or they don't celebrate goals. Aaron Ramsey was a very good case when he went back to Cardiff. They celebrate goals in in a a moderate way when they're against their former clubs and their former employers, Mm. in a sense. I think that's a a very nice fashion that's come into the game this season. Yeah, there have been two or three examples of that Mm, and and it has been heartwarming. Uh, Remember, you can cast your vote on any of the three categories by heading to the Barclays Football Facebook page or by getting in touch with at Barclays Footy on Twitter using the hashtag YouRFootball. Well, we've just heard from an Everton legend of the past in Graham Sharp. Let's talk about a potential Everton legend of the future now. With Leighton Baines this week committing himself to the club for another four years, his manager, Roberto Martinez, describes the new contract for the 29-year-old England defender as a major boost for the club. Not many players can play 38 games in the league, two seasons out of the last three. You're looking how important he is with the daily standards, the influence that he has with the younger players. Uh, I'm just looking at what Leighton can do in the next four years in this dressing room and it's going to be as good as it gets. For me, he's been performing as one of the best left-backs in European football. I think the best is still to come because now it's, you get into a position where you start enjoying the experience, you start enjoying the, the understanding of the game that you have and you're going to infect the others around you. So from every angle that you look at it, to have later now with the, with the focus and the tranquility 
to be at Everton for the long term is an incredible, incredible boost. Well, Graham, his future has been in doubt for some time. Manchester United, of course, continually uh, linked with him. So what do you read into this move at this particular time? Well, I just think from Leighton's perspective, he clearly sees Everton pushing forward. He clearly feels that he's comfortable at Everton Football Club, is impressed hugely by Roberto Martinez and feels that the club can go from strength to strength. When Leighton Baines left Wigan Athletic for Everton and somebody said, what do you want from this move? And if he'd said, I want to be recognised as the best left back in the country and to go to Brazil and play in a World Cup as first choice for England, people would have said, well, you're pitching it a bit high there, Leighton. He's achieved everything he wanted at Everton and he's loved there, he's respected and he's playing as well as he possibly could. What's not to like? No, absolutely. Very exciting times uh, yep. for Everton. And for one particular Everton fan, it's been a very special week. James Ditchfield and Everton in the community volunteer received a surprise visit when Graham Sharp walked into a talk he was giving to present him with free tickets for the upcoming Barclays Premier League game against Aston Villa. This season Barclays is thanking community heroes, fans and players for making the game what it is and identified James as one of these community heroes for his dedication to coaching people with disabilities. James, who has cerebral palsy himself, told us about meeting his hero. Obviously overwhelmed for the speaker Graham Sharp and uh, things I can re- remember of him scoring sco- 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 two goals against Liverpool when, when we were for an all game. Couldn't believe it. Absolutely shy who was in the squads when, when we won the FA Cup in the great years. Mm. So, moving on to your career in football, yeah. when when did you first get involved with Everton's disability football and, and why? why? What was your motivation? Obviously, I, th- I was following me, 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 me mates to the local fo- football team. And seen seen that face in in the echo itself. Everton Football Club applying for their players because they were just starting up with the disability team. Hmm. I mean, I said to a friend of mine called that Alan Davis, I'm not going for them trials. I'll, I'll I won't get in the squad. He's done a bit behind me back. 14 years down the line. I mean, I'm still here. What's been the greatest achievements of your career playing football itself for Everton? And you know, are you still playing now? I'm still playing coaching as well. My best memory is yeah. we, we were playing this day. We were get, getting beat three 0 We come off off at half time, and our manager said to us, "He goes, just go out and play the football that you know, you know you can uh, can play." And it, we we did. We, be, we come off the pitch. We won four three. James Ditchfield talking to Lee Warner. James uh, became a volunteer coach for the club's official charity in 2006. He has since given over 5,000 hours of his time to the scheme. Uh, the programme provides training and coaching to disabled players, as well as delivering disability awareness events at schools. And colleges and Paddy, well, it's quite right that the players and the managers yeah. grab the headlines yeah. day in, day out, week in, week out. It's great to to see somebody like James get the recognition that he so clearly deserves. Absolutely. I mean, I I just think this it's phenomenal. We talk a lot about statistics and minutes and and goals and assists, but to me, the best statistic I've read this season is the one you've just said five thousand hours of his time to what is obviously a brilliant scheme. Because I mean. Football can help a lot of disabilities. It's a game that you can play at every level and and through people like James, millions of people are able to do it. Absolutely. And it's great. There are a lot of community heroes out there. I think the truth of it is, Marcus, there's, there's, you know, plenty of James Ditchfields up and down the country Mm. at every Barclays Premier League club and they go out and they unselfishly give up their time and put their efforts into helping, you know, underprivileged kids, you know, disabled kids and and players as well. They go along and, and support these events as well. It's part of 
players' contracts to go out and make yourself available to go out and, and you know coach these kids as well. And I just, think just one give of the best things in the, in the, about the Barclays Premier League, in my opinion, is that it has been enshrined into the game, as you rightly point out. It, it's actually in the contract. Uh, you know, I've met lots of players who, who actually go beyond their contractual obligations because they enjoy it. Well, good luck to all those uh, community heroes, and uh, may that continue to be a major feature of the Barclays Premier League. Now, despite a, a period of uncertainty, Southampton are still in the top half of the table, currently ninth under the guidance of Maurizio Pochettino and uh, one of the surprise packages of the season so far. Has been a difficult couple of weeks for them, Paddy, but um, how impressed have you been by what they've done on and off the pitch this season? Very impressed by what they've done um, on the pitch, particularly impressed by the way they've done it. Clearly, the owners have uh, put a lot of money into the club. What you see on the pitch is the product uh, not only of signings, clever signings, but of home production. Southampton have been providing players for the England national team. Lalana is, you know, the obvious example. Jay Rodriguez has made a debut, and I, and I think we'll see more of him, actually, although he didn't have a greatest debut. And there's Ward Prowse coming through. There's two fullbacks. I mean, Luke Shaw's uh, one of the most exciting young players in in, in the country. Chambers on the other side is a good player. And, and that's without mentioning Klein. So they've, they've, they've done a, a very good job for the English aspect of the Barclays Premier League. We can speak now to a man who has been supporting the Saints since 1940. Herbert Taylor used to hitchhike from Royal Air Force postings to get to matches. Now, aged 83, not content with following the South Coast outfit for 73 years, he also volunteers as a tour guide at St Mary's, a role he took up following his retirement. Welcome to the show, Herbie. Thank you very much. Now, your first game was over 70 years ago. What are your memories of that day? Well, they're a bit vague because it was during the war and um, we didn't know what to do. And I went along to the Dow with some cousins and um, I saw the Saints play and that was it. I was hooked. So it was love at first sight for you? Yep. That's right, yep. We've never heard of anyone hitchhiking from RAF postings to get to games. What was the longest distance you hiked? Probably from around the Midlands, I was at Hennesford. I must admit, then I was posted for two years out to southern Rhodesia, which meant I couldn't get home, not even from there. My mum used to send me the local football echoes. But, uh, yeah, when I was uh, in local places in, in England, in those days, if anyone saw anyone in a uniform... They would stop and pick him up, no problem. Herbie, have you ever seen a better Saints player than Matthew Letizia? Nope. <laughs> no, no, my number one favourite. He got a bit of criticism for staying at Southampton, but I bet you never criticised him for that. No, he was a local boy. I actually sat with him one time when somebody asked the question, was it lack of ambition, why didn't you move? He said, I love Southampton, I'm just 120 miles away from Guernsey, which is a 35-minute flight from Southampton. I'm getting well paid for what I do. Why would I want to move? He just loves football and he loves Southampton. Herbie, what about this latest side that you've put together at St Mary's? Terrific performances so far this season. Can you continue to go from strength to strength? Um, I think so, yeah. We've had a little bit of a rocky couple of weeks, but the manager is still there and um, it's a lovely blend of experienced old pros like Ricky Lambert and youngsters like Luke Shaw, and they seem to want to stay. It, you know, we've had Cleo Walcott, Gareth Bell, Oxlade-Chamberlain. They moved on because the club needed money, but the club are not in such a dire straits for money now, and um, the manager and the owner says they will only sell players who they want to sell, so they won't be held to ransom. 
You were fan of the year, Herbie, back in 2010, and a tour guide at the moment. I think I'm going to say that you're going to retire from that role at the end of the season. But um... I keep thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like Alec Ferguson. You'll never do it. You'll still be doing it in 10 years, won't you, Herbie? Be honest. Well, it's when the knees give out, you know, and I'm born and bred in Simon, but I live about 11 miles outside now, and um, it's the drive-in, but... Uh, my grandson said he's going to drive me in, so I've got a disabled bay, so I might put a wheelchair in there in a few years' time. I understand that you've got a good story to tell us about a zip wire. Well, two years ago, there was a national company coming around there doing charity zip wires at different stadia, and I asked my grandson, who was 12 at the time, I said, would you do it? And he said, well, only if you will, Grandad. So I didn't think they would allow me to, so I said, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, I got a hold of the organisers and they said, well, nobody ever 65 has ever done it, but if you want to do it and you don't expect us to insure you, go ahead. I did a zip wire the whole length of the stadium from the top of one stand to the other, and it was absolutely fabulous. I bet it was. At the age of 81, that is quite something. So you've been supporting Southampton for 70 years. What's it taught you overall, and what advice do you have now for younger Southampton fans who have perhaps become accustomed to expecting success a little more quickly than was the case in the past? What you can say about Southampton fans and supporting Southampton is we're not glory hunters. Players come, managers come, chairmen come, they all go, but the only thing that stays constant, I don't like to use the words at little club, but this probably the, the less famous clubs like Southampton, the fans just stay loyal, you know, we're not glory hunters, we're real fans and I would say to them, go and enjoy the good times and when the bad times come, just think it's going to get better. I mean, Southampton a few years ago were on the verge of going out of business, but all the fans stuck together and um, we wouldn't let it die. And fortunately, Marcus Lieber came in, paid off all our debts, and here we are now um, giving the big boys for a run. We're there mid-table with the Manchester United. Well, you're a, a Zipwire specialist, you're a, a fan of the year, a tour guide. You've been an absolute credit to Southampton for 70 years. Herbie, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the air. Cheerio. That's Herbert Taylor. Yeah. Um, what, what a super fan. And yeah. um, it's an interesting time for the club, obviously, with Nicola Cortese going. A, a little bit of uncertainty as, as to what the owner wants to do with the club. So, so how do you see them going forward from here, Graham? It's it's difficult to see them going much further forward, in my opinion, than they already are, Marcus, because they have done absolutely fantastically well so far this season. I think the fear was that when Cortez left, you know, Pochettino would stay on, but he seems to have committed himself to the club and the mission that is Southampton. I think the whole setup at Southampton, you know, augurs well for the future. Yeah, and I expect both of you to be zip wiring when you are well into Just your give 80s. Just oh, The yeah. example has been <laughs> Bring set. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, before we look at this weekend's top flight fixtures, we must just mention our Barclays ticket competition. Now, you can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. And here are some of the winners we've had so far. Manchester United supporter Darren Genther says, my six-year-old son can tell you the age, nationality and shoe size of every Manchester United player. He bleeds United. <laughs> Fulham supporter Jeff Benjamin says passion comes from granddad. Same routine from 1977 to now with my son. Park up early, eat chips, get autographs and win. Well, not always at Fulham this season, but uh, let's hope there'll be plenty more wins between now and the end of it for him. Uh, and Rhys Bennett, a Cardiff City fan who has seen Cardiff in over 60 grounds, many in the lower leagues, and won a Cardiff City Is My Life award at school. 
Hashtag you are football. Talking of awards at school, can you claim anything of note? Certainly not academically, no. I mean, my heart was in sports and athletics, etc. So I, I, I did win the, 400, uh, the 100 metres four years on the spin. Now, I'm not so sure whether that meant I was quick or everybody else was slow. I suspect it was probably the latter. Yeah, my proudest award was actually uh, getting banned from sport for, I think it was a week, because I went to a rugby-only school and we, we were completely banned from playing football. And I'm proud to say that I took my one-week suspension for playing football with a, with a rugby ball. Well, we, we don't um, ever condone bad behaviour <laughs> on this podcast, but I think, it, I think that's an exception that we, we can certainly tolerate. Um, do tweet us why you are football to at Barclays Footy or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page for your chance to win tickets to a Barclays Premier League match. Now, there are, of course, a full set of midweek fixtures this week, but many of them will have been played by the time you listen to this. Show So we're going to take a quick look ahead to the weekend's Barclays uh, Premier League games. And, and the last of them on Monday night obviously stands out, Graham, doesn't it? I mean, that is the uh, the big daddy fixture, isn't it, of the, of the weekend, shall we say? And uh, it could have a big, big sway in w- which way the title goes because Manchester City, their home form is terrific. Their scoring power is phenomenal. Um, against the Chelsea side that is resilient... They started to concede goals from set pieces and they've drummed it out of themselves now and they look really, really strong. Can Mourinho orchestrate at least a point out of a trip to the Etihad? That'll be interesting. Yeah, so that's Monday night, Manchester City against uh, Chelsea. And what about you, Paddy? Northeast derbies. Well, there always seems to be so much riding on them. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the, the weekend kicks off with lunchtime derby, Newcastle against Sunderland. And obviously it's particularly important for Sunderland, but they'll go to Newcastle feeling under probably less pressure. They'll be up for it. Uh, both sides will be. But uh, that one that one for me is uh, is one that stands out. Yeah, there are some fascinating matches, as you mentioned, Newcastle, Sunderland, West Ham against Swansea, uh, Manchester United at Stoke, Cardiff, Norwich, Everton, Villa, Hull against Spurs, Fulham and Southampton on the Saturday. West Brom, Liverpool, Arsenal, Palace on Sunday in that match between Manchester City and uh, Chelsea on Monday night. Do tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy. But that is just about it from this week's show. My uh, special thanks to Graham Stewart and to Paddy Barkley. Just before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser with the Merseyside derby taking place this week. Can you name the five players to have played for both Liverpool and Everton in the Barclays Premier League era? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week. Also remember to have a go at our Barclays ticket competition by telling us why you are football. We'll be back next week to reflect on a bumper weekend of matches including the time we're derby on Saturday and the small matter of that Manchester City-Chelsea game on Monday night. But until then, from Graham Stewart, Paddy Barkley and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Barclays.